Hey everybody, I'm Pete. Uh, I'm a former staff at LifeHouse and it's so good to be with you guys this morning. If I don't know you, uh, I'm sorry I haven't had the chance to meet you yet and hopefully I will someday soon. Um, for those of you guys I do know, just wanted to say I miss you terribly and uh, it's an awesome opportunity I have to talk with you guys today. In fact, we're in the second part of Promises, Promises, a series you guys started last week. And um, you know, just as we get started with this this morning, I was thinking about a person in my life that's made so many promises to me and really kept those promises. And that person's my mom. Well, literally from the time that I was born, my mom was the kind of person that promised a couple things to me. She promised that she was going to love me for my whole life, and she's literally done that. I mean, not only has she loved me for my whole life, but she used to tell me when I was growing up in high school that I was her, um, I was always going to be her baby because I'm her youngest child, and she still tells me that. Now I'm 42, and that's a little weird. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but she's always promised to love me and she's been there for me. And I gotta tell you, she's been there for everybody in my family. I was thinking about a time when my brother um, was just sick all night long. My mom stayed with us in our room and he threw up on her all night long. He really did. It was a terrible experience for her, but she stuck with it because she's the kind of person that promised to be with us. She also promised to, to tell us who God was and she really did a good job with that. And she was faithful to Jesus her whole life. In fact, she took me to church almost every Sunday. In fact, I'm pretty sure that until the coronavirus hit, I've been to church every Sunday because of my mom faithfully being there in my life, encouraging me to be a, a part of church. It's been crazy. She's been a person that's just been faithfully making promises. She's, she's been there and she's been a constant source of love in my life. But the reality is, is that promises like that are kind of hard to come by because we're kind of in a day and age in these days where promises are something that people don't often keep. In fact, the day of pinky promises and handshakes are not something that are um, a really a part of our life anymore. They're kind of gone away. In fact, people want more solid promises than pinky promises or I swear that I'm going to do something. They want something hard and fast. When you make a promise today, someone wants a document that you sign that you say, hey, um, I'm going to docu- I'm going to email this to you and you're going to use DocuSign and then it's going to be a hard and fast document. Or, or they, they want something more, more than that. In fact, marriages often start with prenup agreements now because people People want to know uh, that the promises are going to be kept because many of us have had experiences where those promises just haven't been kept in our life. In fact, if you've watched the show Big Brother, which I'm ashamed to admit that I'm kind of a binger when it comes to Big Brother and especially being locked in with the coronavirus, there's been a whole lot of that show watched. Um, but there was a guy by the name of James who's on the show. Check this guy out. Here's a picture of him. James, uh, he says in the Big Brother house, and a lot of people say this in the Big Brother house, that checks can be bounced in the Big Brother house. In other words, we can make a, we can make a promise, but there's no promise that I'm going to keep that promise for you. And that's just really kind of the world we live in, which is a shame to say. And so today I wanted to talk about a promise, literally a promise that God has made for us. And I know sometimes like this whole concept of like broken promises can be something that like we transfer to God. Um, but I believe there's a promise that God makes that's something that we can, it's a check we can take to the bank. It's something that God has said that we can really hold on to. And, and literally like, um, as I talk about this promise, you might feel uh, encouraged to check out because you might think to yourself, uh, this is something I already know. But as we dig into it, you're going to find that this might be like a world-shaping type of promise that it could impact everything that happens in your life. So here's the, here's the promise that God makes for us. God promises us unconditional love. He promises us unconditional love. 
And I know what you're thinking, like you might have heard this before. In fact, in a lot of ways, our world has been saturated by this concept of unconditional love. In fact, if you've been in church like I have almost every Sunday of my life, you know this verse. This verse is John chapter 3, 16, and it literally says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. Um, the crazy thing is about that, you might have heard that verse many, many times in your life. In fact, if you've ever been to a ball game or you've ever been to uh, things like that, you might have even seen it thrown up. Like this example right here, where we see uh, in between the goalposts, there's this John 3.16 sign where people are showing that. Uh, Maybe you've never been to church before, but you've been to a game, and so you've seen this sign up there. Or maybe you looked dreamily into the eyes of Tim Tebow and you've seen John 3.16 written underneath his eyes, and so you've known what that verse is, or at least seen the uh, description of that verse. Uh, Maybe you've been driving down the road or you saw a sign like this that says, I love you, I love you, I love you, God. Or other messages that have kind of communicated this idea that God loves you. One of my favorites, I didn't realize this guy was a believer in Jesus, but this guy, Chris Pratt, wearing his shirt, Jesus loves you. Maybe you've seen shirts like this um, worn by famous people or, or just normal people that are out there. And so you've seen this message and the world has been saturated by this concept, this message of who Jesus is and and how much he loves you. Um, And so we know about it, but unfortunately because of that, it doesn't necessarily impact our daily life. Because of the fact that we've heard the message so much, it doesn't really feel like it sinks in. In fact, we might even be thinking to ourselves um, that God loves the world, but he doesn't necessarily love me. Uh, or maybe he loves me in a general way, but he doesn't love me in the way that I can really like feel that he loves me. And an important question for us to ask is, is why? And maybe that's what this whole message is summed up here today is, why does God love me? Okay, so we understand like God in general loves the whole world, but, but why does God love me? In fact, maybe if you've been in the church world before, you might have had someone tell you or you've heard from a stage or a pastor say something along the lines of um, that God knows us. He knows us inside and out. He knows our thoughts. He knows exactly what we're thinking. And if that's true, maybe you're thinking, if God actually knows who I am, why would he love me? Why in the heck would he love me if he really knows my thoughts? Because all of us deep inside of our heads, we have thoughts and we have things that we know that we've thought before that we don't want anybody to know. And when we think about whether or not God knows those things or he loves, uh, or he, he knows what's happening inside of our brains, inside of our hearts, we got to ask the question, if he knows that, why would he love us? Why would he love all of that, that intimate darkness that all of us have that we're embarrassed to even let anybody know? But the truth that we're going to talk about today is, is found in the book of John. And, and just like the guy, John, who wrote John 3.16, he also thro- he wrote a few other letters. Um, and they're towards the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. He wrote three letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we're going to check them out there today because here's what I can say. And I can say this with, with certainty. Whether or not we were best friends when we were at Lifehouse and we went to big stuff together, whether or not you were a student leader and we hung out for a long time, or whether or not I don't know you at all, I can say with certainty, and I know this because it's written in the words of the scripture, that God loves you. And I know that I can say that about you. And today we want to dig in because I also for certainty shows why God loves you. And, and while you might, not, you might have some questions about that, this guy, John, who spent time with Jesus, he was a, a follower of Jesus on a regular basis. He wrote for us why exactly Jesus loves us. And we're going to dig into that 
right now. So here it is in John, First uh, John chapter 4. It's towards the end of the Bible. If you want to follow in a physical Bible, just go the whole way to the end of the Bible and come back a little bit, and you'll find the books of First John. They're small, so you might miss them, but here we go. It's found in First John chapter 4, 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, he's really describing the fact that, that God, if we have a relationship with him, then love is going to be something that comes from us. In fact, you can tell who followers of Jesus are by the way that they love. But just because interacting with God produces that coming from us. And you can kind of tell people that may not have a real relationship with God because they don't know how to love. And the reality that he's talking about here is not why he loves us just yet. But he's letting us know that when we rub shoulders with this creator God, that love comes from us. It's a byproduct of having a relationship with him. But then John goes on and he says this, whoever does not love does not know God. And let me just pause there for a second. Whoever does not love does not know God. I think that's a powerful statement because he's saying that in a relationship with God, you're going to know love. And if we don't know him, then we should ask the question, maybe I don't know who this God is. Maybe I don't have a relationship with the one and true God who's the creator God. That's a good question for us to ask. And he says, because, and this is real the meat of it here, because God is love. Because God is love. You know, when you and I think about like love and our relationships with other people, we're always thinking about it in the tense of like a verb. Because love is an action. In other words, many people have heard you say, I love this, or I love that, or I love you, or whatever. And it can be weak, right? So we're always looking for someone to prove how much they love by the way that they show me the way that they love. So human interaction and, and proving some, someone uh, to know that you love them is based on how we actually act. If I say that I love you, but I treat you poorly, then I'm not really loving you, right? And so we can project this on God. We look at God and we th say that um, based on our actions, uh, God might love me based on my actions. But that's not what John's saying here. John's actually saying that God doesn't, um, he doesn't love because of any other reason except for the fact that he is love. For God, it's not a verb. For God, love is a noun. It's describing who he is. It's saying that this is his being, that God actually is love, that it's his nature. And that for God to like act in contrary to love um, is doing something that is in contrary to his nature. In fact, you might even say, like someone has said before, at least many people have said this, that um, there's nothing that God can't do. But God can't act contrary to his nature of love because that is who he is. And so if I move towards God in an experience and I take a step in his direction, I'm going to experience love. Because as I come in contact with who he is, it's in his nature to be God. Just to help you understand this in a little bit uh, of an easy way, um, I wanted to tell you about a guy by the name of, of Phil. Uh, Phil Robertson, is a, he was a quarterback at Louisiana Tech um, quite a few years ago. And a funny thing about Phil Robertson, his backup quarterback was a guy that you might recognize his name. His name was Terry Bradshaw. Uh, it's funny that Terry Bradshaw was the backup to Phil Robertson, but Phil Robertson was a star at Louisiana Tech. I mean, for his first three years, he was killing it. In fact, the Washington Redskins were thinking about um, getting him to come out of college early so that he could be part of their team. But this is funny because Terry Bradshaw, as being his teammate and following him, um, he, he made a statement about him in Sports Illustrated that I wanted to read to you. Um, so I'm reading this. He says, The quarterback playing ahead of me, Phil Robertson, loved hunting more than he loved football. Bradshaw wrote in his autobiography, it's only a game. 
He'd come to practice directly from the woods, squirrel tails hanging out of his pockets, duck feathers on his clothes. Clearly he was a fine shot. No one complained too much. <laughs> Bradshaw was saying that it was his nature to be that way because he loved duck hunting so much. So what's crazy, in his third year of playing football, he was like, you know what, I actually don't want to play football anymore. Terry, I'm going to hand it over to you. And he decided to chase something else down that he really was passionate about, and that was hunting ducks. Now, Terry, as we all know full well, he went on to create a football dynasty. He became the Super Bowl winning quarterback of the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Steelers three years. He was a, they won three times. So football dynasty. Everybody knows who Terry Bradshaw is. But Phil Robertson also created a, a dynasty of his own. Um, if you see this picture here, this, he created a duck dynasty. He was the guy in charge of that, which makes a whole lot of sense. Because if you consider the fact that he was so passionate about duck hunting, uh, it was his nature to just to lean into that with all that he was. And he really became a guy that was so passionate about it, he made a, a multi-million dollar dynasty chasing that down. In a very similar way, when God created the earth, he put objects in it that he could funnel his affection towards because it was all about him showing the world just who he was. It was his nature to create people that he could lean into loving with everything that he had. In fact, really it's summed up by saying this, it is his nature, not our behavior that determines God's love for us. It is his nature, not our behavior that determines God's love for us. He's love. And you know, the thing about it is, is we always get uh, really torn upside down about this because as we project like the problems in the world, uh, the way that we love in the world and, and the way that sometimes when I'm mean to someone and they might say to me, you know what, I don't love you as much as I used to. Or maybe we've even seen it in relationships that break apart through divorce and, and divorce can be ugly because, you know, they're like, you know what, I don't love you anymore. Or, or maybe there's a, a child to parent situation, a relationship where you're just, you're like, you know what, we've, we've come to a point where we can't even talk to each other. We haven't s spoken to each other in a year. And, and it's all because of these relationships that we have when we do mean things to each other or, or we set our, each other away from e ourselves in anger. We, we understand that love can really fall. It can fail. And, th and then because of that, we project that on God, that when we make decisions that our relationships fail, we think that God won't love us anymore based on our behavior, uh, that we think that God can't love me because of that. But that's not who he is. He doesn't love me because of what I do. He loves me because of who he is. And in his nature, because he is love, he loves me just the way that I am. I think because of the world and all the things that we see in movies and television, and even in our own relationships, we have a tendency to, to settle for imitation. But God wanted to demonstrate to us just who he was. And it makes so much sense as we check this next verse that John says. Here's what he said. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He began to show us his love by sending his son, Jesus, who was an expression of him. I mean, Jesus literally, literally said that if you've seen the Father, then you've seen me. If you've seen the Father, then you've seen me. So when we look at Jesus' life and we see the thing that he did for us by coming down and dying on a cross and sacrificing his life in exchange for all of our mistakes, when he did that, God was expressing his love. He was showing us how much he loves for us. And it really only makes sense. When he says this here in 1 John, 
This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That love is described not because of what we've done, nothing that we've earned, but love is described in the fact of what he has done, not because of us, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice, paying for all of our sin, paying for all of our mistakes. And sometimes we settle for cheap imitations and we believe that, that God just might not love us based on our behavior, but that is just not who he is. One of the best ways for me to describe this is just to show you a picture of this. This is an orange, or many, many oranges, I guess I should say. You know, an orange, like, um, there is really only one kind of orange, right? In the sense that, like, uh, there's nothing else like it. However, there are many things that are made to be cheap imitations of an orange. For instance, uh, this is a soda that many of you guys drink, Fanta. Now, when you drink Fanta, it is an imitation of orange, but it's not actually orange. In fact, if you see all the uh, ingredients that are in here, it literally says at the top, it contains no juice. There's carbonated water, high fructose corn syrup, citric acid, sodium, benzoate. None of these things really are an orange in there. It's funny because it resembles an orange, but there's actually no orange in it because there's really nothing like an orange. And here's another product that's similar like that, Orange Glow. Um, not saying that we should ever drink this, but there's literally no orange in the ingredients. I mean, it's orange, it's the color, but it's just a cheap imitation. It, it's made to look like orange and to smell like orange. And here's another one. <clears throat> These are orange circus peanuts, which I actually don't know what they are. I, I'm not sure if anyone should ever eat an orange circus peanut. And when you look at the ingredients of this, it's just a mystery conglomeration of chemicals that really might make you die. I'm, I'm not sure if you should eat it. It might be worse than orange glow. But the reality is when you look at that, that there's nothing that's really like an orange. And if you wanna know what an orange is like, then you take that orange and you cut it up and you look inside. And you know what happens when you look inside? You're not surprised by what you find because inside an orange is something that you find very predictably. And here's where we're going with this. There are a lot of cheap imitations that look like God's love, but there is no one like God. There is nothing like him. We don't have a relationship on this planet that's like him. All of our relationships are conditional, but not in our relationship with God because God's love for us isn't conditional. I can't sin, I can't outwork, I can't do anything to outrun the love of God. It's a promise for us, and it's something that is not going to happen because we do something good. He loves us, why? Because he's good. And just like when you peel back the layers of an orange and you find what's inside, when we peel back the layers of God, we find Jesus as the expression of his love inside, who is willing to lay down everything because of his love for you. And if you're finding yourself asking yourself this morning, I don't know how God could love me. Um, maybe it's time to remind ourselves of the expression of God's love, and that was Jesus. And we start to find ourselves uh, being tempted just to, to lean into that place where we think, I'm unlovable. I've done too many wrong things. We just need to return to that place where we remember that God is love, and he doesn't love me because of what I've done. And we remind ourselves of who Jesus is and the amount of love that he's given for us. His expression was to sacrifice everything. God's love for you is unconditional. And we hope that you can live and bask inside that promise. And let those words change your heart this morning and change your life. Because there's no one like God and his love for you is unlike anything else. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I thank you for Lifehouse Church. I thank you for the people that are in it. 
And God, I thank you for the fact that you gave your son to let us know and let us see who you are, to express your love because there's, there's no one like you and there's nothing like you. And the fact that you love us like you do is remarkable. I pray that we let those words just kind of wash over us this morning, that we would remember who you are and why you love us, and that we wouldn't feel the need to prove a need to be loved, but just to bask in the glow of your love, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.